Well, how do we feel? How do we feel? It's the 15th, the 15th of November, 2022. I know that. I know that. I totally know that. So what's important about today? Well, okay, we're waiting for a massive drop from Mar-a-Lago from the President of the United States, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what's important today. What we need to know as citizens of this nation of what's going on. So allow me to just quickly tap into my uh, Ohio stream. I need to just add it for a second. You know, uh, Facebook likes to um, censor me. So I'm just going to have it on while we talk about something very, very important. Now, I want people to understand that this two-part show is one, showing you just how your state legislatures uh, literally annihilate everything you may stand for as a person. And they do this in the most sneaky way. And we're going to discuss that today in two parts. One, regarding child trafficking, child molestation, and pedophilia, which nobody really likes to talk about. You know, that was a, that, 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 my friends, is something that I've talked about many times. And a lot of people believe that the majority of these uh, children are used for uh, sex slaves and breeding programs, which they are. But the majority of them are done for spare parts. I, I hope you heard that correctly, spare parts, but it's experimentation. And so what I wanted everyone to be aware of is showcasing to you right now, because it's happening right now in the state of Ohio, how they are using the legislature to promote funding, state tax dollar funding in a proposed budget. Now, we all know that we are extremely upset at our tax dollars being sent off to whoever. FTX is, you know, on everybody's lips and everyone's talking about it when the bigger problem, you know, nobody wants to talk about that, right? Nobody wants to talk about that. But our federal tax dollars are being sent everywhere. I mean, I even told my accountant, is there any way that I can claim the country of Ukraine since my money is going there? Uh, Obviously, the answer was no. But uh, this is something that's on our mind. What are they using our money for? Well. I'm going to take you back to the Hearst investigation. The most atrocious, I guess, treasure trove of information came from the Hearst Connecticut media investigation. Nearly a dozen men in the state of Connecticut, right, by the way, with ties to the Boys and Girls Club were accused of sexual abuse against children and were also obviously in positions of leadership within religious communities, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the Hearst investigation revealed allegations going back to the 60s. I mean, we could talk about the finders, but you'll just have to wait for the new documentary I'm putting out on that. See, as someone that actually worked with what people like to call the deep state, I know every facet of their operations. And you could believe that doesn't make it any less true. Let's keep going. But their investigation looked back to the 60s and up until 2016. And the religious affiliation and the club involvement um, was varied. And it's across the nation. 
Now, the most infamous of them was Father uh, John Gogan, a priest who, uh, whose abuse of children was very prominent. And the, Bos- the Boston Globe actually covered the sex abuse in the Roman Catholic Church. If you remember, it was featured in the movie Spotlight. Um, and Gogan held an adult membership at the Waltham Boys and Girls Club in Massachusetts up until 1992, according to, uh, you know, the court records that he had. Now, the Boys and Girl Club uh, is a, a prime and, and, and rife with um, sexual abuse. Uh, it uh, targets children for that. In the state of Ohio right now, as we are speaking, there are proposals in a budget that is to provide funding to the Boys and Girls Club of Central Ohio. Now, I have a very big problem with that, considering that Ohio was one of the states involved in uh, this. So please take a look at this report. And uh, this is where we're going to get into the finance portion of things, uh, which is the second uh, second half of the show. But it's very important that we guys, that we realize what is happening. And the, and the reason that I'm talking about Ohio right now, obviously it's my state, but I want people to understand that Les Wexner got a sweetheart deal from the Department of Justice to not go to jail and not get his shit confiscated when all that went down with Jeffrey Epstein. You know, President Trump doesn't get enough credit for what he did. But just because the DOJ gave him that doesn't mean that Ohioans will give him a sweetheart deal. And that is my task going forward, though we must come over this storm that's brewing right now to be able to target that because the people that we have in office are obviously world economic forum partners. Oh, you know, and by the way, didn't Frank Laurel's get some FTX money? I'm just saying, but you know, I digress, right? Because he was endorsed, right? People still don't get it. Anyway, let's take a look at this report. It's, um, it's very disheartening. Boys and Girls Club of Central Ohio is hitting the ground running on a new initiative focused on investing in middle school aged children. It's tied to the announcement proposed record-breaking 2023 budget for the city of Columbus. NBC4's Anna Hoffman spoke with program directors and tells us what the new initiative would include. If the city of Columbus's proposed budget passes, the directors of the Boys and Girls Club of Central Ohio say this new initiative would help to expand their services and really meet the needs of an age group that needs the most attention. Right now, the Boys and Girls Club of Central Ohio is serving around 500 kids, but this new funding from the city of Columbus would help them serve more. We're hoping to help as many as we possibly can. And target where the need is greatest. And so this initiative will be the first time where our uh, middle schoolers really get the services and support and the, the, the attention that's needed, uh, particularly around this, this critical uh, development in their, uh, in their journey. If passed, the organization would receive around $2 million for the new initiative. Columbus City leaders have emphasized youth engagement in programs like this one will be a big factor in stopping youth involvement in violence. It will just expand our reach and expand uh, the level of, of support and services that we can provide uh, throughout Central Ohio, but also will allow us to uh, partner with other, uh, other organizations to expand the reach, but also 
the uh, types of programming and types of services and types of enrichment that our, our kids uh, certainly need. Program directors say the middle school age group often gets overlooked, but say that seems to be where the need is greatest. Coming out of the pandemic, we still are dealing with a lot of trauma, uh, a lot of uh, mental health concerns. You know, we still have a lot of violence in the city. Members of the Boys and Girls Club say they are proud to be a part of the solution and believe the extra support will make a difference in the city's future. I believe it's just going to show our kids how much they really are worth. You know, is that they do deserve everything that the community has given them. So, and we get to be a part of that. Directors say they're working on getting more sites inside Columbus City Schools to help the kids that need it during those hours. If the budget passes, the pilot program is set to start in early 2023. Local for you in Columbus, I'm Anna Hoffman, NBC4. All right, so this uh, is now going to be taxpayer funded, right? And now they're targeting younger children as well, which is a big concern. And the question is, these legislators obviously were selected, not elected. So they're just taking Ohio tax money and investing it in things that they're told by the overlords. Let's take a look at, uh, you know, what else this investigation found. The current club director of uh, uh, club director Erica Young in Connecticut, uh, in Connecticut, oh no, Massachusetts, sorry, had said that in July when Gogan was caused, he was never an employer volunteer with the organization. And so she had no idea that there were lawsuits against the club relating to sexual misconduct. She also went in to read the manual of what the safety procedures are. It almost sounds like when you talk to your you know, people that are on your board of elections, you're like, yo, this seems fishy. Well, let me show you the manual, right? So they write the manual to cover their butts and then they reread it. And they said that they have staff background checks, safety training, security cameras, really, but they got caught. The guy was sentenced to serve 10 years in prison. In the late 80s and 90s, a priest had encouraged boys to attend the club while attempting to recruit them as altar boys, if you remember, right? And prosecutors claim that in a criminal case against him. You remember that. Well, the Hearst, Connecticut, you know, media organization that did this. It examined thousands of documents from more than 200 civil and criminal cases of alleged sexual abuse involving staff members and volunteers of the Boys and Girl Club affiliates across the country for over 70 years. I remember the children that actually attend these Boys and Girls Clubs are usually those from impoverished uh, you know, households or they're all uh, children that are, uh, you know, in foster care and need some help. So now what they're doing is they are targeting the younger aged ones too. And so the when it examined all these cases, it found that over 70 years that the Boys and Girl Club of America doesn't keep a list in, in itself of allegations of abuse or civil suits or criminal cases. And there are so many, it's, it's insane. I'll show you one director in Las Vegas, just so that you can understand. Obviously he said the same uh, poem, you know, that was recited by the guy you saw in Columbus, same words. We're here to help the impoverished. We're here to help all these children. We're going to help them and we're going to give them. They're in need. But see, the state of Ohio right now is going to be funding this 
blindly when there are so many allegations. Where are the people of the of Ohio trying to save the children? Where are they in outrage to tell the legislature, don't you freaking dare, if there are over 200 criminal cases, this is a child trafficking network, grooming network. But okay, I digress. Listen for yourself. Girls Club on Southern Highlands Parkway is behind bars night. What investigators have uncovered about his alleged relationships with minors. Tonight, Metro says its investigation is ongoing while a lot of parents are asking some tough questions. And only on Action News, Masa Saidi spoke with the people who say they knew him best. I've known him since I was about seven, and he's been kind of a dad figure to me since then. Loving and kind and compassionate, but also very disciplined. Masa Saidi joins us live at the Boys and Girls Club on Southern Highlands Parkway with the latest right now. Masa. Trisha, Steve, it's a nightmare for parents. They come to pick up their kids here only to get this letter saying someone who works here has been arrested for inappropriate behavior. Tonight, dozens of parents are shocked. One told me she's pulling her kid out of here, but another family felt differently. I would never even imagine Will to be that sort of a person. He's the director of an organization charged with protecting. See, I can actually relate to what she's saying. They are so good, these psychopaths, these predators are so good that you would never guess, right? I had someone very close to me just like that. And people around me, my, my close family, my extended family, my priest, they were like, what the, and I'm like, yeah, neither did I. So I understand it. They're very, very, very good. And they know how to work people. They're psychopaths slash sociopaths slash my gosh, God knows, but they are evil. They are demonic and they speak parcel tongue that can, you know, pet your ears and make you think that nothing's wrong. This woman saying it probably has never seen anything. I, I relate to her 1 million percent having had that experience myself where you're next to someone, even close to someone and, and not realize it. Protecting our children, but tonight Willis Brown is accused of harming them up to three teens. Police believe some incidents happened right on the property. The alleged crime, he was arrested for lewdness with a child. <gasps> parents at the Boys and Girls Club in Southern Highlands in total shock. Many didn't know what to think. They only knew Coach Willis in passing, but we tracked down those he was closest to, people who've known him for years. Did you ever see anything inappropriate at all between him and any student? No, definitely not. He would actually be the kind of person that I would talk to about that kind of stuff if an incident did happen like that to me. So you felt that comfortable? Yeah. The 44-year-old husband has three young girls of his own. While loving and compassionate, Gina Frake says he was very tough when kids misbehaved. She recalls one incident. He called all the parents, he disciplined the kids, and that, there, again, there was zero tolerance for any behavior like that. Tonight, as police investigate the community thinking about the potential victims, the Frakes thinking about the alleged suspect. This is his life. I mean, he's a program director there. This could be very detrimental to his career, to his family. We're going to have to wait to see what happens in court to determine what really happened here. The organization refused to answer our simple questions about how long he had been a director here. But the, uh, but the president, who was visibly shaken, told me that they are shocked 
they're disturbed, they're cooperating with authorities and communicating with parents. Reporting live, Masa Saidi, 13 Action, Action News. So it's not the first time. There have been tons of cases, and yet, for some reason, your legislators, and you should look into it in your state. It just came across my screen seeing that in the state of Ohio, legislator has de- the legislature has decided that they're going to take our funding and give it away to the Boys and C- Girls Club, right, um, to fund them and target uh, younger children even. Those are my tax dollars. I didn't elect you because I'm not allowed to vote properly, right? You choose for me. I say no. And I think all of Ohio should say no because they aren't duly elected and they shouldn't be taking our money and handing it out. I mean, we see it all the time. I mean, can any of us actually claim at least one family in Ukraine on our tax documents? No. But now we're going to be funding an organization with children that come from vulnerable backgrounds that are younger and more impressionable without a say. It's not even an organization with a stellar record. The majority of these uh, groups, like even Nixium and other groups and finders, they all fed into the boys and girls programs, those ranches that they fund, all obsessed with supposedly helping children. Let's not forget, you know, uh, the the guy that got the Human Rights Award and he was on the human rights um, role. What was his name? Oh, gosh darn it. It was something. And he worked with Hillary Clinton. I mean, I try to remember his name, but he got caught uh, trying to have sex with an infant. Right. Yet he was the poster child for saving neglected children. Come on, guys. And Schwartz, I think, is his name. Right. Schwartz. It was that his name. Schwartz. Um who uh, was the head of the human rights for children. And, you know, he was funding and promoting Hillary Clinton and everything. And then suddenly he was in a sting operation and this loving guy that was on the human rights page for Twitter as the poster child for, you know, saving the children was negotiating to rape an infant in New Jersey. But, you know, whatever, right? These people are here to help. See, this is the problem we have. We have expenditures by our governments, you know, without any ability to stop them. So today we're going to talk about money. Since everyone wants to talk about FTX and they're all digging like they discovered something new. Seriously, you think people don't know about that? Come on, come on. What we need to look at is these partners, Let's just, let me see if I can share this page before I swap over into the money. Okay. And again, where's Ohio? Oh, I love my children. Save the children. What are you doing? Absolutely nothing. You're not all over your legislator saying, what are you doing? So here are the partners for the organization. So we have 5 million coming in from Panda Express, the Wallace Foundation. Is that Tarzan's? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Look it. Look it. All right. Now let's keep moving. Amazon, Charles Schwab, Kohl's, Old Navy. Isn't it there on Amazon where we find selling of like one dresser for like $50,000 and then they call it the Alicia uh, uh, that was created five years ago, you know, kind of like, right. You know what I'm saying? Look at all these people. 
that are funding it. These are the companies that are way behind it. Some of them don't know. Some of them do. Some of them maybe not. Look at all these. And then they have media partners. Isn't NBC where Matt Lauer had that lock button where he would lock people in to his office when he wanted to rape them and, you know, he got away with whatever, right? Matt Lauer can suck it. You remember that? So for those in Ohio, maybe you should get on it. Now I'll have to disconnect from Facebook because we're going to start getting into the weeds. So if you'd like to continue watching this show, please pop over to Rumble. On that note, let's continue. Now, what is so, oops, oops, what is so important today? And that was a clip that I'm going to All states send tax money to. Here we go. Let's start with our conversation about states. Let's talk about taxes and money because this is going to be fun. This is a quick clip for you to watch. Give me a second. I want you to enjoy this. All states send tax money to the federal government and get federal money in return. But not all states are equally dependent on those dollars. An analysis done by MoneyGeek used data from the IRS and Treasury Department to rank all 50 states and the District of Columbia based on how much their state budgets rely on money from the feds. They also looked at the political affiliation of the state to learn more about the factors influencing the dependency. Well, the research team found eight of the top 10 states who depended on federal dollars were Republican voting states. Meanwhile, seven of the 10 states least dependent on federal dollars were Democratic voting states. The analysis notes, generally speaking, the more conservative states have a lower tax rate and thus less state funding for various programs, which means in turn, federal dollars fill the gap. Where did Illinois rank in all of this? Number 47 out of 51. You can check out even more of the analysis, including a look at the child tax credit in our story below. So now that was very curious, isn't it? So you're saying that out of all the states, it's the Republican states that require more money to function as a state, to fix their roads, to build the schools, to do all of these, right? That's that's what they're telling you. They're telling you that it's Republican states and that the Democrat states don't need that much money. Obviously, California defaulted so many times on loans, but you know, I digress, right? The question is, what does that have to do with money? Well, I think we need to see the difference between something called the Articles of Confederation and the Constitution. And the reason I say this is because, you know, people don't seem to understand what that means. It's like, you know, we're giving loans to other states uh, as a federal government, right? We control the unity. So it's kind of like we all pay the federal government so that the federal government can give money to other states to help them, right? When they're more impoverished, like say, for example, there's like a wildfire somewhere and it's like, oh my gosh, I need money. And it's like, here you go. Here's a loan from the federal, a loan from the federal government. Or like when California was like, oh my gosh, we're going to do like this hyperspeed rail. And then they started it and then they kept the money. And it's like, wait a minute, California, we gave you money to do this and you haven't done it. Remember, President Trump showcased that a lot, right? So I think it's important that all of us get this civics lesson because not a lot of people understand the difference. So let's get right to it. So, so what, what happens when you break away from your home country, country and rush to create a new government? 
Find out now. Welcome to Learning Stuff with Sprayberry, where we make social studies fun, easy, and educational. Thanks for joining me. Today we're discussing the difference between the first and second governments of the United States. People tend to believe that our government is just a democracy. And it is, but what type is it? Just being a democracy doesn't actually create the rules that run the day-to-day -day government. Let's get into our first government. The Articles of Confederation. Alright, so during the Revolutionary War, we had 13 individual colonies, or states, fighting for independence from England. If you've ever owned more than one cat, or worked with toddlers, or middle school students, then you can guess what it was like to get them to work together. Herding cats. Don't let anybody tell you it's easy. All these colonies knew what a bad government was, and they were scared of getting burned again, but knowing what you don't want doesn't make it easier to know what you do want. So the government they helped create was designed to be weak enough for states to be able to push back if necessary, and they created the Articles Confederation to make that happen. This initial government was approved by the Second Continental Congress on November 15, 1777, but didn't actually kick in at all until all 13 colonies ratified it March 1, 1787. This means that it was put in place during a war and kept throughout the war. As many people can tell you, making decisions in a stressful situation doesn't always lead to the best outcome. Now, the articles were written to be used during a war. In many ways, the Articles of Confederation were designed to be a quick and dirty government that came with built-in limitations. Governmental powers were limited because the colonies were fearful of a government that could abuse its power. States had seen, through England, what it meant when a government has an overabundance of power. The Articles limited the Continental Congress to tasks that would benefit the colonies during the war, direct the Continental Army, and foreign nation diplomacy. After the war, however, this government was not durable enough to keep all 13 colonies together. The article's limitations focused on economics, leadership, and military. Let's start with our economic limitations. The articles did not grant the Continental Congress the right to create continental currency, meaning that each state had to develop its own money. That on its own is a problem because each state would have to compete with every other state to maintain the value of currency. Additionally, it was extremely difficult to keep up with the exchange rates. Two Virginia dollars could be worth three North Carolina dollars. Keeping with the money theme, Congress didn't have the right to tax people, which makes it incredibly hard to keep your army paid and fed if you don't have the money to do so. To find out why Congress didn't get the rights to tax people, check out my video on the acts that led to the revolution. You'll understand why America doesn't feel taxation. Lastly, individual states could levy tariffs on other states, which made it incredibly difficult to keep business operating across state lines, which, as you know from the regions, is really important considering not every region can produce everything you need for survival. Moving on to the legal system. Congress, under the Articles, was extremely limited in its ability to make laws. To make a law, 9 out of 13 states had to agree on the law. Each state, regardless of the number of citizens, only got one vote. So a large state that absolutely hates a law could be outruled by smaller states who agreed with it. Once a law was passed, there was no branch of government to enforce these laws. 
So we made a law, but nobody has to follow it because we don't have anybody making sure they do follow it. You can see the problems, right? Enforcement of the law depended on the states to back up the law. So the state that didn't agree with it that got outvoted may not even choose to have people do the law. One of the weirdest facts about the Articles of Confederation is that states were not limited in their ability to make treaties with other foreign governments. So you could have Virginia making deals with France and North Carolina making deals with Spain for trade as opposed to grouping everybody together in one large block to trade with another nation. This meant that some states defaulted on their the money that they owed other countries, which makes the whole country look bad. Sometimes they received goods but refused to pay for those goods to the foreign governments. With all these problems, is it any wonder that it was decided it needed to be replaced? A wake-up call came in the form of Shays' Rebellion. In Massachusetts, 4,000 rebels, led by Daniel Shea, marched on a U.S. armory to take the weapons and fight back. The U.S. government couldn't even pay for troops to come in and protect the armory because it lacked an income from a lack of taxation. The rebellion was ultimately put down by the Massachusetts state's militia, which meant that a state had to own that debt of putting down the rebellion. This was the final straw and made people realize that the Articles of Confederation got to go. If you have an insurrection and you can't fund the military to fight back, something's got to be done. After the rebellion, states sent delegates to meet in Philadelphia and amend the Articles. Throughout the discussion, several compromises were reached which resulted in the scrapping of all the Articles of Confederation. Under the new Constitution, three branches of government are created. One branch makes laws, the legislative, one branch enforces the laws, the executive, and one branch makes sure that those laws follow all the rules we've set up, the judicial. These three branches give drastically more power to the federal government, but they have a system of checks and balances built in to make sure that no one group gets more powerful than any other. This helps make sure that the colonists are taken care of when it comes to decisions made for the country. Furthermore, learning from Shay's Rebellion, the federal government is now given the power to collect taxes, which means we can finally afford to pay our army and make sure that they are there and ready when we need them. And lastly, the federal government is now the only one who can make deals with foreign nations. This keeps us together and united as a whole as... Finally, the federal government is the only one who can make deals and treaties with other nations. This keeps us acting on as a whole and one block group. The Articles of Confederation were essentially relics of when they were created. They were created in a system that feared the strength and power of a centralized government. The Articles missed their mark when it came to creating a lasting government. The only rational response to the Articles of Confederation was to take what worked mix it with the repairs, and create an entirely new system of government. This new government would have to master the balance between a central, strong government that was strong enough to provide for its citizens while maintaining enough liberty and personal freedom for states. I might regret this, but here's the question of the day. Is there a way to accurately balance governmental powers between freedom and liberty? between the ability to do what you want and the ability to make sure that everyone is treated equally. Let me know down in the comments below what you think. Thanks for watching Learning with Spray Beer, where we, we make, make social, social studies fun, fun, easy, and educational. Pretty, pretty dope, huh? That was a crash course right there. But I think we, we need to reinforce that. And think about the question that he said. Is there a way to have a strong central government without sacrificing your freedoms? 
that's the question everyone should ask. Now let's go into Pursuit of History, which has a great little cartoon, which will be entertaining. That was the first Constitution of the United States. You're probably wondering how we ended up in this predicament. Let's rewind a bit. British and American soldiers had already been engaging in battles in the Revolutionary War since April of 1775. The United States declared its independence on July 4, 1776. But in all that time, one important piece of the puzzle was missing. A plan for government for the new country. Around the time the Declaration of Independence was signed in July of 1776, the question of setting up a new government was on the forefront of everyone's minds. A committee of men led by John Dickinson was given the job of drafting a plan for government, which they did, but it took the Continental Congress over a year of debate, discussion, and gathering inspiration from Benjamin Franklin's early plan, called the Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union, before settling on a plan which they called the Articles of Confederation. Delegates agreed it wasn't a perfect plan, but Congress adopted it on November 15, 1777. Now it just needed to be approved. Fun fact. Approval by all 13 states was needed before it could be ratified. And it would not be an easy, or fast, process. Delegates from eight states ratified it on July 9, 1778. But it wasn't until Maryland finally ratified it on March 1, 1781, that the goal was achieved over three and a half years after it had been proposed. The 13 states were very nervous about giving power away to a national government. After all, they were breaking away from Great Britain and the King of England, who they on multiple occasions had called a tyrant, and the states weren't keen on giving any major power to a singular ruler ever again. Thus, the Articles of Confederation set up a weak central government with a single branch, Congress, which was mostly responsible for handling relations with other countries and declaring war, as needed. States kept most of the power, which made them happy, but ultimately caused a lot of problems for the young country. Before we talk about the bad news, let's start with the good news. In Congress, each state received one vote, making every state equal, regardless of how big their populations were. Congress was given some important powers in the Articles of Confederation. They could manage relations with other countries and Native American tribes, issue money, borrow money, establish the post office, and maintain the armed forces. Now for the bad news. In creating a weak national government, the states had assured a tyrant couldn't rise to power. But that limited power came with other problems. First, agreeing to new laws required agreement by nine of the 13 states, and approval of changes to the Articles of Confederation itself required agreement by all 13 states. Remember how long it took to approve the document in the first place? Yeah, agreement between the states didn't magically get easier after they won their independence from Great Britain. Additionally, Congress had no power to enforce laws or collect taxes. Yep, let that sink in. States had the power to enforce laws passed by the national government. Or not. The national government was too weak to force states to carry out their laws. They could only ask nicely. Likewise, because Congress had no power to collect taxes, the national government didn't have a lot of money, which was a problem because the nation was in debt. 
The government could ask states for money, but the states were in debt too. States did have the power to tax their citizens, and they did, sometimes too much. The powers given to the national government were so limited it could do nothing to stop it. Enter Daniel Shays, our friend from the beginning of our story. In 1786, Massachusetts, a storm was brewing. Business owners began demanding payments for goods farmers had bought on credit, and the government began raising taxes at the same time. When farmers couldn't pay their debts, they were arrested or found their farms taken away by the government. Farmers grew angry, and one, Daniel Shays, led a rebellion that escalated on January 25, 1787. On that day. 1,200 farmers marched into Springfield, Massachusetts, to seize an arsenal. After a small skirmish, two farmers died and 20 were wounded. While the rebellion was short-lived, it shocked the nation because it showed the weaknesses of the national government under the Articles of Confederation. Something had to change if the United States government was going to survive past its early years. In 1787. Twelve of the thirteen states sent delegates to forge a new document, the United States Constitution, the very framework of the United States government today. Hey everyone, thanks for watching. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button down below and the like button, button to show some love. love. I'll see you next time. In the meantime, keep pursuing history. So so so. Now let's think about it for a second. Let's think of the dynamics right now, today, in 2022, between the states: the power they yield or the power they do not yield. If you remember, let's think of something very current: the vaccination mandate. As you realize, in Medicare and Medicaid programs, they were able to enforce the mandate, but they could not enforce it in the states. They were not allowed to enforce it in the states. I know in my state of Ohio, the Solicitor General, who, by the way, is representing Frank LaRose in the Supreme Court of Ohio、uh, at the Supreme Court level, he actually clerked with Scalia. But when asked about the vax mandate, do you know what he said? We'll do it if we want to, on a state level, and he sounded like he wants to do it. Mandates from the federal government don't apply because there's something called sovereignty. What we have been seeing, and thanks to the run of President Trump, and thanks to him being president, is a formation among states. It's a solidarity between themselves. You know, I had a conversation with someone a couple of days ago, and I was like, "It would be fantastic if Carrie Lake won," but there's no way. Katie Hobbs is way up there in the National Association of Secretaries of State. There's no way that they're going to let her lose. The World Economic Forum and the global entities that wish to collapse a fine balance between state power and federal power have decided that the way we win is by collapsing state sovereignty and independence. Therefore, we have this federal government that tells people what to do, and therefore, they have no choice since the powers are delegated to them. At this moment. The people of the United States, as I've said for a couple years, and you know, it would have been interesting if the people that had all this immense money that were chasing paper ballots, doing tours and putting on shows and canvassing, as if that was going to save them.
One, they could have listened to me where I said, hey, we just need to get rid of the machines and this can be fixed really quickly, right? But nobody wanted to listen to me. Oh, you work for Benny and this is probably counter intel. Who was right? I was. You were wrong. Thanks. It would have been great if the people of every state actually ran for office. But saying it and doing it is one thing. The problem that we have is that our infrastructure in regards to elections is corrupt. We know this from the machines. But we also know this, the way of actually getting on the ballot. And this is why I'm in the Supreme Court. We need to level the playing field so we can find that nice balance and take power back from the federal government and bring that back to our states. The only way we do this is by actually taking office, excluding corporate interests, of course. And corporate interests are global interests because these aren't corporations that are mom and pop shops on the corner. They're global entities like Facebook, like Alphabet Inc., like cars, online providers, Dell, Compaq, Apple, Samsung, you name it. And then we go into other industries, right? We can look at vertical industries, right? Such as healthcare, global, insurance, global, transport, global, commerce, global. Again, the Gordian knot, you can't untie it. You need to slice right through it. And the way you slice right through it is by creating a level playing field. See, the Articles of Confederation were created to assist in between. But it comes down to money. It all comes down to money. There's no if, and, or but. Now, the Articles of Confederation was the road to the Constitution. So now we're at one of those crossroads. I think watching history with Mrs. H might give you an inclination of what the solution is rather than be told what a possible solution is. I would love all of you to put your thinking caps on while you listen to the next 10 minutes of this history teacher explain to you how the road to the Constitution was created and what you foresee would be beneficial for our nation post the Constitution because they have desecrated that. Today we're going to be discussing America's first system of government, the Articles of Confederation, and how that eventually led to the creation of the Constitution at the Constitutional Convention. So let's get started. While you're watching the video today, if you have any questions, do not hesitate to leave them in the comments below. I'll get back to you as soon as possible. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you can be notified about more history videos coming your way. By the end of the video, you need to be able to answer these four questions. One, what were the strengths and weaknesses of the Articles of Confederation? Two, what was the importance of Shays' Rebellion? Three, what was the original purpose of the Constitutional Convention? And four, you need to describe the major compromises the delegates made at the Constitutional Convention. After the 13 colonies declared independence in 1776, 
they needed to create a government to run their new country. The Continental Congress created the Articles of Confederation in 1777. The Articles of Confederation were a reaction to the British government's actions leading to the American Revolution. The colonists saw the executive, or King George III, as having too much power and believed that power should lie with their local assemblies. Remember, in the Declaration, almost all the grievances begin with the word he, referring to the king. Because of this, the government created by the Articles of Confederation had no executive branch. There was nothing like a president or a king to oversee the government. It also had no national court system. The Articles of Confederation only created a national Congress. Each state would elect members to the Congress, but each state only got one vote regardless of the state's population. In order to pass a law, nine of the 13 states had to agree, and to amend or change the Articles of Confederation, all 13 states needed to agree. The Articles of Confederation gave Congress limited powers, like they could conduct foreign affairs, maintain the armed forces, borrow money, issue currency, create a postal system, and declare war or make peace. According to the Articles of Confederation, all powers not explicitly given to the National Congress were left for the states. This means the National Congress could not impose taxes, regulate trade between the states or with other countries, or create an army or navy. In effect, it was like the United States was 13 independent countries, all of them doing whatever they wanted. This presented some challenges for the national government. For example, the national government had the responsibility to maintain the army, but they couldn't force citizens or states to send people to join it. For what soldiers they did have, they were responsible for paying their salaries, but they couldn't get money from the states to pay them with. There was no way to enforce national laws, so even though there was a national currency, the states started printing their own money anyway. If someone was traveling from Virginia to North Carolina, they would have to trade their Virginia dollars for North Carolina dollars. The national government also could not regulate trade, so the states began imposing tariffs, or taxes on imported goods, on each other. This means that Virginia could put a higher tax on goods coming from South Carolina than from Georgia. This would lead to people in Virginia buying goods from Georgia instead of South Carolina, causing major disagreements between Virginia and South Carolina in Congress. To make matters worse, all of the states had different trade laws, so foreign countries would need to create different trade agreements with each individual state, something they were not willing to do. Things became so chaotic, European countries were waiting for the United States to fall apart and go crawling back to Great Britain. Remember, nine out of the 13 states needed to agree to pass new laws, and all 13 states had to agree to change the articles. These trade policies and regional differences made it virtually impossible to pass any laws and get the states to agree. Needless to say, few laws were passed and the articles were never amended. Could you imagine if all 50 states had to agree today to change the Constitution? 
It would never happen. The Articles of Confederation were not all bad, though. The government was able to make an alliance with France and effectively fight the British armed forces to win the American Revolution, a significant achievement. The national government was also able to negotiate the Treaty of Paris of 1783 with the British government to end the war. Finally, Congress was able to pass a few laws, like the Northwest Ordinance and the Land Ordinance of 1785. The Northwest Ordinance established the Northwest Territory, which included the modern-day states of Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, and Wisconsin. The law established rules for admitting new states. It guaranteed that new states would have the same powers as the original states. The Northwest Ordinance was also the first law to limit the spread of slavery in the United States, making slavery illegal in the Northwest Territory. Finally, the law guaranteed the freedom of religion and the right to trial by jury to all people living in these territories. The Land Ordinance of 1785, another law passed by Congress, also set up systems for the purchase of land and how land would be distributed. Have you ever flown over the Midwest and noticed that the land looked like it was made up of squares? That's because of the Land Ordinance. As you can see, the Articles of Confederation gave the government very limited power, and there were some massive flaws. These flaws were fully exposed in 1786 when Daniel Shays led an armed revolt against the government of Massachusetts in response to taxation laws. Daniel Shays was a former soldier in the Continental Army and was a farmer living in Massachusetts. The state kept raising taxes and taking away farms when people couldn't pay their debts. Daniel Shays was very upset by this system. He himself had been taken to court in 1780 because he had not paid his debts while he'd been fighting in the American Revolution. Remember, the government couldn't pay him because they couldn't raise taxes. In the fall of 1786, he led an armed revolt with over 5,000 followers against the Massachusetts government. Their goal was to stop the courts from meeting, which led to them burning down some courthouses. Remember, the national government had no power to raise an army, so it was up to the Massachusetts militia to stop the rebellion. Other states began to see what was going on in Massachusetts and realized the government needed to change. They didn't want a rebellion like that in their state. So, in the summer of 1787, 55 delegates from 12 states, Rhode Island refused to send anyone, met in Philadelphia to fix the Articles of Confederation. Many of the all-stars from the time were at the Constitutional Convention, including George Washington, who served as the president of the convention, James Madison from Virginia, Benjamin Franklin, who was the oldest delegate at 81 years old, and newcomer Alexander Hamilton. There were several notable people who were not at the convention, like Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, who were both serving as ambassadors to France and Great Britain at the time. Patrick Henry, who was famous for his give me liberty or give me death speech before the American Revolution, refused to attend the convention because he smelled a rat, meaning he was afraid they would not amend the articles as they had stated, but instead would create a new system of government that would take too much power away from the states. After arriving in Philadelphia, the delegates made three decisions. 
first, they realized they couldn't fix the Articles of Confederation. They were beyond repair, they were that much of a mess. So they tossed them out and started over. Second, they agreed each state would get one vote, regardless of the state's population or the size of the delegation sent to the convention. Finally, they agreed to keep the proceedings private for 30 years, so the delegates could speak freely without fear of judgment from those back home. One of the first decisions the delegates had to make was how the government would be structured and how the people would be represented. The first proposal was called the Virginia Plan, written by James Madison. The Virginia Plan created three branches of government, the legislative branch or Congress, the executive branch with the president, and the judicial branch with the court system. Each branch would have specific responsibilities, and each of the branches would be able to check the others to make sure they didn't take too much power. Congress would be bicameral, meaning it would have two houses. Both houses would have proportional representation, or representation based on the state's population. The more people living in a state, the more representatives that state would have in Congress. Virginia had the largest population at the time, so their plan favored large states. Small states, or states with smaller populations, feared they would have no voice in the government under the Virginia plan. So, two weeks after the Virginia plan was presented, William Patterson presented the New Jersey plan. This plan kept the three branches of government, but said the Congress would be unicameral, meaning it would have one house and there would be equal representation. Every state would have the same number of votes, regardless of size. After several weeks of debate, Roger Sherman of Connecticut presented the Great Compromise, also known as the Connecticut Compromise. This compromise kept the three branches of government and focused on representation in Congress. They proposed a bicameral legislature with a House of Representatives and a Senate. The House of Representatives would have proportional representation, like the Virginia plan suggested, and the Senate would have equal representation, like the New Jersey plan suggested. This compromise settled the debate between large and small states by giving both proportional and equal representation. The issue of representation led to another debate among the delegates. How should slaves be counted for purposes of representation? Northern states argued that because slaves didn't have the right to vote and weren't given the rights of citizens, they should not be counted in the population numbers. Southern states, however, argued that because the slaves were living within the borders of the state, they should be counted. This debate made many of the framers realize that the true divide in the United States would not be between large and small states, but between free and slave states. Several delegates, including Ben Franklin and Alexander Hamilton, were members of early anti-slavery societies, and about 25 delegates in attendance owned slaves, including George Washington and James Madison. Some delegates advocating for abolishing slavery in the United States, while others wanted it protected by the Constitution. To compromise on the slave trade, they agreed that Congress would not interfere in the transatlantic slave trade for 20 years. After 1807, there would not be any more slaves imported into the United States. They also added a fugitive slave clause to the Constitution, saying that runaway slaves would have to be returned to their owners. 
This was later abolished by the 13th Amendment, which made slavery illegal in 1865. After many months of debating, the delegates finally approved the Constitution on September 17, 1787. But they would need to take it to the public, and it needed nine states to ratify it before it became the law of the land. This ignited a national debate about the nature of the Constitution and democratic government itself. More on that in a later video. Next time, we'll discuss the document itself, focusing on the seven principles of the Constitution. I hope, I hope you, you have, have a great, great day, and I'll see you in class. Mrs. H, she brought the heat. Now, the reason I showed you this was to reinforce so you understand what we're getting into in the second half, which is money. Because if you understand how this nation was created, not on the foundations of liberty, but on backdoor deals and sealing communications for 30 years, you know, while you talk about it today and you're like, oh my gosh, they're sealing the record for like 70 years and 60. That was normal practice back then too. Remember? You heard it. 30 years, what they discussed will not be out in the public. So there was already infiltration from the minute that ink was wet on the paper. So now let's take a quick hiatus with Patrick Henry. You have patriotism as well as abilities of the very worthy people who have addressed their local Senate and House and their representatives. But different people often see the same subject in different lights. And therefore, I hope it will not be thought disrespectful to those gentlemen if entertaining as I do opinions of character very opposite to theirs, I shall speak forth my sentiments freely and without reserve. This is no time for ceremony. The question here is at this one awful moment to this country. For my own part, I consider it as nothing less than a question of freedom or slavery. And in proportion to the magnitude of the subject ought to be the freedom of debate. It is only in this way that we can hope to arrive at truth and fulfill the great responsibility which we hold to God and our country. Should I keep back my opinion at such a time through fear of giving offense? I should consider myself guilty of treason towards my country and an act of disloyalty towards the majesty of heaven which I revere above all earthly kings. My fellow Americans, it is natural for a person to indulge in the illusions of hope. We are apt to shut our eyes against a painful truth and listen to the song of that siren until she transforms us into beasts. Is this the part of wise men engaged in a great and arduous struggle for liberty? Are we disposed to be of the number of those who having eyes see not and having ears hear not the things which so nearly concern their temporal salvation? For my part, 
whatever anguish of spirit it may cost, I'm willing to know the whole truth, to know the worst and provide for it. I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, and that is a lamp of experience. I know no way of judging of the future, but by the past. And by judging by the past, I wish to know what there has been in the conduct of those in the Senate, those in the House, the UN and globalist ambassadors for the last 10 years to justify those hopes which so many people have been pleased to solace themselves through the media. Is it that insidious smile where they receive your petition? Don't trust it. It will prove to be a snare to your feet. Suffer not yourselves to be betrayed with a kiss. Ask yourself how this gracious reception of your petitions and grievances comport with those warlike preparations which cover our waters and darken our land. Are the fleets and armies of the UN necessary to execute a work of love and reconciliation? Have we shown ourselves so unwilling to be reconciled that force must be called in to win back our love and our devotion? Let us not deceive ourselves. These are the implements of war and subjugation. The last arguments to which kings resort. So I ask you what this martial array that they are bringing upon, if the purpose is not to force us into submission, then what is it? Can anyone assign another possible motive? Has the UN any enemy in this quarter of the world to call for all this accumulation of their navies, their people, their armies? No, they do not. They're meant for us. They can be meant for no other. They are sent over to bind and rivet upon us those chains which the UN, the globalists, and the corporations have been doing for so long they've been forging them. And what do we have to oppose them? Shall we try to argue with them? Because we've been trying to do that for decades. Do we have anything new to offer on the subject? Absolutely nothing. We have held the subject off in every light of which it is capable but it has been all in vain. Shall we resort to entreaty and humble supplication? What terms shall we find which have not been already exhausted? Do not deceive yourself. We have done everything that could be done to avoid and avert the storm which is now coming on. We have petitioned, we have remonstrated, we have supplicated, we have prostrated ourselves before their thrones and have implored its interposition to arrest the tyrannical hands of those that lie 
in seats of power within our nation. Our petitions and grievances have been slighted. Our remonstrances have produced additional violence and insult. Our supplications have been disregarded, and we have been spurned with contempt from the foot of their throne. Oh, Pelosi. In vain, after these things, we may indulge the fond hope of peace and reconciliation. There is no longer any room for hope. If we wish to be free, if we mean to preserve, inviolate those intestinable privileges for which we have been so long contending, if we mean not basely to abandon the noble struggle in which we've been so long engaged and which we have pledged ourselves never to abandon until the glorious object of our content shall be obtained, we must fight. I repeat, we must fight. An appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left to us. They tell us we are weak, unable to cope with such a formidable adversary. But then I ask, when will we be stronger? Will it be next week, next year? Will it be when we're totally disarmed and the UN Guard is stationed in every house? Should we gather strength by resolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by lying supinely on our backs and hugging the delusive phantom of hope until our enemies shall have bound us hand and foot? We are not weak if we make proper use of those means which God of nature hath placed in our power. The millions of people armed in the holy cause of liberty and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. Besides, we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations and who will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. The battle is not to the strong alone. It's to the vigilant, the active, the brave. And besides, we don't even have an election. If we were base enough to desire it, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There's no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable and let it come. I repeat, let it come. It is in vain to extenuate the matter. People may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand here idly? What is it that you wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, 
give me liberty or give me death. And across this planet has been tested on for various things. They could be medical, they could be technical, they could be societal, they could be psychological. Everyone is basically a subject. And now while everyone's freaking out about this agreement with the WHO, I urge you to remember that the WHO dictated all our policies already that the WHO was giving directions to the whole world already. How? Through the CDC, who are unelected officials that have no say in anything that are simply employees that we pay. Therefore, that's already happened. They're just sealing the deal. They're sealing the deal for something that already happened so that it can be public. It's all a damn show. And right now, what you are seeing is what I said back in 2015. This is a civilized revolution. Evil, when shown to all, when you're at the wire, when your face is eating dirt, when you realize that your hands are tied to your feet, that you were hogtied, that every single chip is stacked against you, And yet you stand. You can't help but thank the architect for giving you that chance. People should have more faith in humanity. People should have more faith in people. Because unfortunately, we're in a revolution and the problem is not the enemy, which are those that seek to control the people, but the actual people themselves that are experts in telling you who's wrong and who's right. While they're inertly sitting by, letting everything happen, opining from whatever throne they wish to sit. The world needs to have faith in humanity even though we don't want to (laughs) because it's not something that we can see we can't see it again I've seen it Uh, I've seen a future in another line another timeline that if 9-11 didn't happen This that is coming up would have happened earlier with an outbreak of a civil war in 2005 with a lot of blood on everyone's hands. This one is a civilized revolution. What they have done now is cause this revolution. Aristotle fantastic philosopher actually defined the term tyranny and tyranny comes to existence by power of force and all the consequences of tyranny are detrimental tyrants use their power to suppress the people and evoke fear among people 
The reason they are doing this to President Trump is so none of you get the idea that you can run for president. Oh, you can be a president if you want to. No, not unless you're casted for the role and you're part of our group. It's a, it's a, it's a tight click and you're not in it. When there's no check and balance that is present in society, oppression arises and this affects the country. Injustice is social evil. We are being deprived of our legal rights, our innate rights to vote. We have the right to vote, but that hasn't happened since the year 2000. And you could take that to the bank. And in these conditions, every single person is miserable. Miserable. We have seen racial tyranny, gender tyranny, sex tyranny, class tyranny, religious tyranny. The Constitution is supposed to play a significant role in protecting the people. It's supposed to offer checks and balances. It's supposed to offer federalism and the separation of powers. Our Constitution has been diluted and has been uh, demonstrated in such a way, pissed all over. They burn that down in the name of tyranny. And when tyranny becomes law, well, rebellion actually becomes a duty. They even they haven't even seen the revolution yet. We've just come to the peak of it. It's like I said in 2015, the civilized revolution. It's the people against the oligarchs, the people that are sitting there telling you what. Now, while most of you think that the Republicans, because unfortunately for me, if I was advising the president directly, I would have said, get rid of the GOP. Starve them. Tell the people that they are a uniparty, which you have already done. Remove every single ounce of power they have and drop this nation into pure and utter controlled chaos where the politicians will say, no, no, we can't, we can't survive. The GOP would have zero money. The Democrats would have zero money. We have Democrats that are begging to have President Trump back because they felt safer. Their gas wasn't expensive. And they felt like all of this is happening to make sure he's not on the ballot. I guess maybe that's the guy we want. This is exactly what President Trump should have done a few months ago. He should have endorsed people independent from the GOP. Uh, It'll happen. Uh, Better late than never. But the thing is, right now we have a monstrous machine of polarity. Democrat, Republican. You don't vote for any parties. You vote for the people that can fix it. See, this is good advice. Advice is they want chaos. Give them chaos. Give them actual chaos that is in the hands of the people, not the hands of their own. Imagine if President Trump a few months ago came out and said, well, don't give a dime to the GOP. Don't give a dime to the DNC. You support these candidates that I will endorse or not. You pick your candidates. We need real Americans here. And those parties are not going to support them. So get out there, guys, and support the people that are for the people. See, if he had actual good advisors, that would have been said. No party. The people that you elect are supposed to represent you.
world needs to have faith in humanity, even though we don't want to, because <laughs> it's not something that we can see, okay? Um, we can't see it. Again, I've seen it. Uh, I've seen a future in another line, another timeline that if 9-11 didn't happen, this that is coming up would have happened earlier with an outbreak of a civil war in 2005 with a lot of blood on everyone's hands. This one is a civilized revolution. And I know God has got this and he's stepping in when he has to because people need to see it. Just like President Trump. Oh, he released everything to him years ago. Stood in the gap to make sure to cover for everyone. Like he said, they're not after him. They're after you. And he's breaking it all down. They will indict President Trump and he will not be convicted. But they will indict him in order to fill the news with that discussion rather than the things that are happening on the other end. They are going to indict President Trump and I told you why already. Will they get a conviction? No. I'm literally on the defense team. Literally. We have been building a defense for forever and even with my my friends friendships are forged through fire too when you know that you've come out on the other end of that fire not burnt you realize just how strong you are and it's very important to understand that and this is because if you keep God as a constant nothing can stop what's coming Civilized revolution. Argument. Every word we can't take back. Cause with all that has happened, I think that we both know the way that the story ends. It's so fun. I've been hustling, and tonight is my appraisal. Cause I'm a hooker selling songs, and my pimp's a record label. This world is full of demon stocks and bonds and Bible traders. So I threw the deed, get up and leave the climb around. History has shown us exactly where we're at right now. There is no if, ands, or buts. We're right where we should be. Reliving the same peaks. This war has been ongoing and we have a few more years left. The peak is here. This is the turning point. This is the precipice. So allow me to demonstrate to you how they do this. See, we talked about the Confederation, you know, the Articles of Confederation and how states have power. And as you heard, mostly red states are the ones that are dependent on federal money. Your state has money. Your state gives it to the federal government. The federal government then loans it back to the states and obviously pays for things like, you know, helping LGBTQ in Pakistan. 
probably building taller buildings so they can throw gays off the roof faster. Who knows? But one thing you need to know is that the, the, the actual debt is important. So at the top of this, West Virginia's is one of the top states that relies on the federal government. Even though their workforce is only 4% employees working for the federal government, 45.1% of the state budget comes from federal funds. Then comes New Mexico. Only 6% work for the federal government, but they rely 41% of their budget on federal funds. Mississippi, 47.3% of their state budget comes from federal funding. Alabama, the workforce is only 3% of federal government, but their budget includes 41% of federal funding from the U.S. government. Alaska, Alaska, a rich state that actually pays you to be a resident for some reason, 50, more than 50%, 50.83% of the state's budget is coming from the federal government. Why are they taking money from the federal government when they have so much money that they're paying their residents? Listen carefully. Idaho's budget, 41.08% comes from the federal government and only 2.75 actually work for the federal government. Louisiana, hmm, 52.3% of its budget is coming from federal dollars. What? That is crazy, isn't it? The ratio of federal funding to income taxes is 1.6. Golden ratio, I guess, right? Maine's budget gets 43.2% of its whole state budget is made up of federal dollars, yet only 2% work for the federal government. Wyoming, their budget relies on federal funds. 56.4%, the top state of the nation that relies on federal funding. And they don't have a lottery either, by the way. And the ratio of federal funding to income tax is 1.3. It's almost one to one. Isn't that crazy? Montana. Only 3.5 of its workforce actually has federal jobs. Also houses big mansions for all these pedophile elites, right? And uh, we should talk about the Boys and Girls Club activity in Montana at some point. But its budget is 46.5% dependent on federal tax dollars. Delaware, 387 of its budget, federal dollars. But only 2.4% are federal workers. Rhode Island. Tiniest state ever. So insane. But 43.7% makes up the state budget. And only 2% of Rhode Island's workforce has a federal job. Arizona. 47.45% of his total budget is based on federal dollars. And only 2.5% work for federal jobs. Vermont, 43.5% federal dollars. Now here's this. South Dakota, rich state, right? Total farming, independent, not so fast. 50.93% of its income comes from federal dollars, making it one of the top four states that rely on the federal government to make up their state budget. Weird. And Kentucky. 
the home of the Kentucky Derby that rakes in a ton of money and nice commonwealth, well, 44.5% of its budget relies on revenue from the federal government and less than 2.2% work for the federal government there. I hope you're understanding what's going on here. Ohio, 33.9% reliant. Michigan, 33%. Wisconsin, 26%. Iowa, 29%. Nebraska, 30%. Texas, 32%. New Mexico, 4.6%. California, 30.7%. Nevada, 32.6%. Oregon, 32.8%. Washington, 29.2%. Florida, 32.8%. I can go on and on. South Carolina, 319 North Carolina, 305 Virginia, 2one Sounds insane. Believe it or not, Virginia is on the lesser fund, but that's because they have the most federal employees. So one should ask themselves, all right. You obviously have filtered. I'm understanding what's going on here. I'm understanding that the federal government is pretty much almost funding half of the budgets for these states. All right, I get it. Well, wait, what have we said about money? Hmm? Remember, I had that conversation with a bunch of lawyers that were suing Pfizer, and I made a simple suggestion. Hey, guys, I would suggest that you ask judges that have a portfolio with Pfizer to recuse themselves. The response I got was, well, they're supposed to do that with disclosures. And I said, oh, well, you could just trust me on that because I should have done that. I tried to do that in North Dakota when they were coming after me to show that the judges that were allowing the attorney general to keep me, uh, you know, in contempt, right, and do this fraudulent investigation were funded by him and they owed him money, which was true. They all had loans from his bank, First International Bank. Not only that, they were donors to the Boys and Girls Club, which, by the way, Wayne Stengem, the dead AG pedophile, was involved with the Boys and Girls Club in Nevada, you know, where they usually move all the Native American children to when they, you know, hustle them around. See, even though we have laws in place, not a lot of people play fair. They don't disclose their finances. So let's start disclosing state finances to understand this better. So if your state is reliant on federal dollars to simply operate... Doesn't that come with strings attached? Doesn't that coerce states to implement policies like, I don't know, green policies or, you know, other stuff? Well, yes, it does. In fact, the Federalist Society put this together. In the early 21st century, the federal government collects a great deal of its revenue from individual and corporate income taxes, and also from Social Security and Medicare taxes. And the federal government, having collected an enormous amount of revenue from individual citizens of the several states, then sends a good chunk of that money back to the states in various forms. This means that when we examine state budgets, what we see is that state budgets are, to a large extent, dependent 
on a very large stream of federal money. That opens up opportunities, many would say dangers, that the federal government will use its financial power over states in order to pressure or even to compel states to engage in policies that the states would not choose on their own. Some of these things that the federal government does to pressure states are relatively uncontroversial, but some are enormously controversial. And there is no conditional spending or no uh, use of the spending power in order to pressure states more controversial than the Medicaid expansion that was contained in the Affordable Care Act, enacted by Congress and signed by President Obama in 2010. The Medicaid expansion was such that states that didn't go along with expanding Medicaid would lose a great deal of existing money. And it was that provision of the Affordable Care Act that a majority of the U.S. Supreme Court said went too far and went beyond Congress's powers under the spending clause. There is anxiety that through its spending power, Congress will, in effect, coerce states to craft policies that the states don't want to craft. The fact that our current uh, means of government financing lends itself to that sort of coercion is a serious consideration and a serious worry for many. Coercion, though, is a very hard term to define, particularly in the area of government finance. The fact that money is available to states, one might say, is simply a sweetener, not a coercion, not, not some kind of coercive action. After all, states can take or leave that federal money. No one is forcing the states to take federal money. All the federal government is saying in many contexts is, if you want this money, states, then you have to comply with certain conditions. You have to do or not do things. If you don't want the money, that's just fine. But states, of course, or many states, will see that quite differently. This is such a large part of our budget that turning up our noses at federal money particularly in the areas of health and education, would in effect cause us to overhaul our entire structure of state government. That's pressure that no state can possibly resist, or so the argument goes. Money. Money. The root of all evil, they say. Well, you know, years ago, I told you that you will have food credits. I think I said it in 2018. And I also showed to you how your legislators with the red flag laws are, you know, allegedly uh, trying to curb your gun rights. But as I explained to you, see, because I was part of that clique and I wrote the script. You don't just do it like that. First, you get the coding in. You need the SKU codes of guns. <laughs> and you need to know the bullet size, shape, maker, the type of gun, who bought it, what time you bought it, what street, GPS location, all that information with the swipe of your card. That's okay. I'm just going to buy guns with cash. All right. Well, let's, let me do you up one there. Well, that's fine. You'll buy it for cash. For how long? Let's see. Maybe a year, right? A year? Let's let's say a year. It's 2022, November. Let's say by this time next year, we'll be a cashless society. Because, you know, when New York and Miami, Florida, where Ron DeSantis is, right, started to deploy this um, state-run uh, digital currency, 
And when I was talking about the synthetic homogenous currency back in 2019, you know, all your pundits were busy telling you about how awesome President Trump is and how corrupt everyone is. And look over here to the really big things, but don't look at the peripheries. I've probably said no one pays attention to the peripheries because, you know, you need hands and feet to operate. All right. You're staring at the head and the trunk of the body, but without the hands and feet, it's just a trunk. The hands and the feet are the ones that do all the work. And so now, you know, maybe a year they're going to be experimenting with these, you know, Floridian and New York uh, digital currencies. You know, it'll attract everyone that lost a shit ton of money in Bitcoin and Ethereum to just start banking with specific banks. And these are the same banks that have been caught sending money to Iran and other nations. Like, I don't know, like Wells Fargo would be one, HSBC, Citigroup, which is actually German. So I don't know why we're calling it an American bank, you know, and everything will be coming too. And you know how, you know, the writings on the wall, their symbols will give them away. Why? Well, have you ever been to the Holland Tunnel in New York? No, it's called the Empire State. The For those of you in New York, and you know, I'm a native New Yorker, just pay attention to the symbols and it tells you everything. Empire State, Empire, keyword, Empire. But you know, I digress. Money makes the world go round. And when it's digital, you can be ceased from buying things. Oh, and wait a minute. And if you're a state that doesn't allow abortion or trafficking or killing people or suggesting to people that are really depressed that they should just kill themselves, well, guess what? You're going to be off the grid. I think a new convention of states is required. And we can have the cities independent and those that wish to be in the slave camps to go ahead and maintain the country. Allow them to break off. Allow them to attract all those that want the shiny things living like slaves. Because, you know, they'll be the elites in the nice little line houses. Oh, look at me. I have everything so instant. And it's like I blink and my coffee is made. And it's like, yeah, that's totally dope. I've told you guys that story, right? Where I was at the LG house in Korea. You get tours of it, but this was four. I want to say, shoot, two decades ago, where they showed me how everything works and they programmed it. And I spent like six hours in there and my um, window could be any scene I want. And you could not tell that it wasn't it. I was like, oh, I want to see the New York skyline at night. And boom, there it is. I was laying in the bed and I wanted to, um, you know, listen to the news and turn on the coffee. And if I blinked my eyes twice, it would be to get the coffee done quickly. And if I raised my hand, a digital screen on the ceiling would start, you know, mouthing off the news. Obviously, it wasn't Korean, so whatever. That happened over two decades ago. Hmm? Where's it now? See, they want everyone there. And this is where we're going. It comes with the money. And unfortunately, while everyone was focused on the federal races and the Pelosi's, which are a great show, I mean, right? It's great theater to watch, you know, drunken, stupefied, all this corruption coming out. No one was paying attention to the actual workers, the people that were shoveling coal to make those corruptions go, right? And the corruptions go, right, were your state legislators, right, were your banks or amalgamated bank, 
And the thing is, uh, you know, no matter how much I spoke, I was being silenced by both sides. Uh, and, you know, obviously the right ears are listening, right? But they can only do so much. If truth can't cut through the noise of the phonies, then how are you going to wake the people up? You could tell them, here's the water, drink it. Here. Can't force them to drink it. Can't shove it down their throat. Can you? But the thing is, everyone falls into these pockets of what they're passionate about. They're passionate about, you know, child trafficking. They focus on that and that becomes their center of the world and they're focused just on that and they're not paying attention. Yes, you're exposing it. Yes, you're telling people. Yes, we're talking about it. Yes, it's disgusting. But can we hit the root of it? Like, hey, your tax dollars fund it. Hey, it's your politicians funding it. Hey, this is what they use it for. What do we do? We kill the root of it. Huh? How do you, you're just going to get more weeds. Okay, we got rid of Nixium. Look at us. And it's like, yeah, but did you get rid of the weeds? Because there's another one popping up somewhere else. See, it's unfortunate. And, and God works in, in, in ways that none of us can understand. You know, I, I, I watch the media, both traditional and non-traditional, and I see so many people starting to see things that we've been talking about for five years or so. And it's, that's the buffer, the five years. But as proof of concept, I can tell you I was proof of concept. I was able to get on a ballot as an independent when all the chips were stacked against me. And that's because of you. And not only that, I was able to gain 1% with absolutely zero media coverage. In fact, the only media coverage I got was slander and lies. And it came both from the right and the left. I was being attacked for promoting independent, not corporate candidates by the very people that claim they're patriots that said, you're just going to be taking away votes because they're so brainwashed. They didn't get it. But what I successfully did was I got 1.07% with no media, no voter guides had me. Any media that I got was trashing me. And the right trashed me more than the left. I hope you can see. If I was able to, an, a little blip in the system, with all those chips stacked against me, able to get 1.0%, well, then that means that all of you have better chances to actually win. All we needed was the proof of concept, and I was it. That America is ready to go independent. That America does not need media or money to run their candidates. I got 1.07% in a whole state with no professional campaign team. Putting pennies together and donations together so that I can fight it and get on the ballot, which I did. And you know why I won? Because Frank LaRose will go down in history as one of the most unconstitutional Secretary of States ever. It'll be etched in stone in legislation by SCOTUS. And when that's done, the Sixth Circuit will be coming, where the state of Ohio will be shamed for not upholding their own state constitution. Etched in stone forever, that's how you win. 
That's how you win. By making their name immortal as the problem that our nation had. His kids may go to law school and they'll learn how their dad tried to unconstitutionally keep independence off the ballot. His grandkids, his great-grandkids, that's how you win. Wow. Ah, uh, yeah, you got 1%. What did you get? You got nothing but your basement. And the thing is, I didn't do it. We did it. We, the people, did it. One by one being etched in stone. One by one being etched in stone. Our nation, as I've said many times before, is at the tipping point where we have three branches of government and two we knew were always corrupt. But the third one, the judicial, was a problem, especially when it's corrupt. Because then how can you redress your grievances? We need to be more focused on how we fight battles. We need to be paying attention to what they're doing in the background while you're distracted with Pelosi shenanigans, Schumer's, you know, and the stupid J6 committee. You need to see their money. I mean, you know, even, even, even Judicial Watch, they're great people, right? But they've got nine-figure balances offshore. Why is the money offshore? It's so weird. Great people, though. Offshore. Nine digits. So weird. So weird. And then people are like, oh, look, Mitch McConnell, guy at the X. And it's like, yeah, just him. Well, like, can we look at Asana? Because Asana got the money from FTX. And maybe we could look at Alameda Research. Oh, maybe we should look at Alphabet Inc. See, they all got the money. See. See. It's starting to make sense. Money, money, money. Well, how does the federal government get all that money? Let's, let's see what PragerU has to tell us about that, okay? How does the federal government get all this money? You know, the, the money that they sent off to Ukraine and then was washed by Amalgamated Bank because everyone's not paying attention to where it's going. See, Amalgamated Bank is toast, and this is why they deployed the digital currency quickly because they're like, holy crap, they're going to figure it out. And it's like, oh, don't worry. We got Wells Fargo's on that Iranian deal. So, you know, when we go for Obama, that's coming too. Wells Fargo's going bye-bye. But in the meantime, let's 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 see what Prager has to say. How 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 does the federal government get money? Just hear this out. Every year, the U.S. federal government collects more than $3 trillion in taxes, and almost half of that comes from you and me, the individual income taxpayers. These are the taxes that come out of your paycheck, or maybe you pay quarterly. Either way, it's a lot of money, so it's worth learning about. So here are five things you didn't know about the individual income tax. Number one, the individual income tax has been the largest source of federal government revenue since 1950, accounting for 47.3% of revenue in 2016. Number two, while the name individual income tax implies that only individual Americans pay the tax, many small businesses are subject to it as well. A majority of small businesses are set up as pass-through entities, which means that business profits are included on the owner's individual tax sheet and is thus taxed at the individual rate, which is higher than the rates big corporations pay. 
Number three, according to 2016 data from the Tax Policy Center, 44% of Americans, or roughly 77 million people, don't pay any federal income taxes at all. Number four, a combined 2.6 billion man-hours is spent every year filling out tax returns. That's an average of 17 hours per American tax filer. If time really does equal money, we're paying even more than we thought to Uncle Sam. And lastly, number five. According to the most recent data from the Tax Foundation, the top 1% of taxpayers contribute roughly 40% of all federal income taxes collected, and the bottom 50% of taxpayers were responsible for less than 3%. That's a lot of taxes paid by very few people. The individual income tax is what makes many of the benefits and programs provided by the federal government possible. But having the rate set too high can have serious consequences on the financial situation of individuals and their families, as well as overall economic growth. Small business tax cuts is not a partisan issue. It's an American issue. Both Republicans and Democrats should be able to get behind legislation that accelerates job creation, raises wages, and strengthens communities. It's a win-win policy. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, click here. For more from information.org, click here to help keep. Who doesn't love PragerU? Hmm? Who doesn't love them? I do. I simply adore them. One moment. Let me show you how you show your cards. All right. I just wanted to annotate something before I end today's show. Money. There's only one state bank, and we're going to cover this tomorrow. There's only one state bank in the whole nation. And that's the way they used to obfuscate and not ask you questions. They'd sequester all the state money, and then it would be like only for the state, so all the wages, income taxes the state would get, it would collect it. And, uh, you know, fishing licenses, hunting licenses, uh, deeds, state taxes, property tax, whatever whatever state tax or fees you would pay would be sequestered into a bank account. And that bank account would be run by the public bank of the state. And the state would dictate where this money goes. But recently, what we see is that there are no banks. Only the state of North Dakota has one, which is weird because they ask for a lot of money and they're dependent. I think uh, they get um, 26.8% of their budget from the federal government. Remember, the budget is usually uh, maintaining Native American sites or forests or federal reserves, right? Like federal natural reserves, et cetera, et cetera. But the majority is it gets used by the states for other reasons too. And that's to pay their salaries or do things. Now, this looks like a big Goliath because it is. And that's fine because the bigger they are, the harder they fall. See, I was talking about this new party, independent party, separate party, crush the parties, let's destroy the parties. And all the patriots attacked me. Every single one of them. (laughs) Every single one of them will wish they were my friend now. Well, soon. Because they're going to realize how behind they were on everything. Best, uh, best, best, best crow ever. Ever. Now, while many people think that they have this all sussed out and some will tell you, oh, it's all part of the plan. Well, it's all part of their counterinsurgency plan. See, we the people are a little bit smarter now. We don't just lap things up. And yet, while most of you still watch them, you're making them money. You need to start turning them off. Turning point off. 
all of them off. The only person you really need to listen to is President Trump at the moment. Not even his advisors. Him. Turn them off. Unsubscribe. Watch how quick the fat is trimmed from the rubbish. Turn them off. You know, I kicked the hornet's nets a couple times just to weed out, you know, most of, you know, the, the, the counterintelligence infiltration that had happened. Mm-hmm. I've done it. And, and, and yes, it pinged back, but it showed people that were watching exactly where they sit. And that's definitely not on the America train. That's on the what gets me money funded sponsors and chatting on the air. That's it. That's all they care about. You need to turn them off. Oh, but that person used to work with Trump. The key word, used to. Used to. Think of the people that have actually stood by his side from day one. Obviously, we know it's Dan Scavino, right? And I've done a whole show on that guy, and he's incredible. But I want you to think about it. All of them are telling you what to think and how to think. They're literally contributing zero. They're not urging you to pay attention to the wars that need to be had. Now, I guess I'm a different, I am different. I'm upgraded. I'm completely different. And I don't care what others say. Someone said, isn't it embarrassing that you lost? And I said, don't you get it? This is how you make history. You give power back to the people by doing that. And someone's got to get in there and get dirty. Because unfortunately, people don't get in there and get dirty. They like to talk about getting dirty. They like to see other people get dirty. And if all their friends say, yeah, we're supporting that person getting dirty, they jump in. I want you to pay attention, please. This is going to be key going forward. There's so much confusion on what's going on right now. It just, it's pure insanity. We have people listening to Lynn Wood who has been targeted like crazy. I mean, the guy has clearly been attacked so hard. He's grasping for anything. He even attacked people that were defending him. That tells you everything you need to know. That shows the demons have surrounded them. And, you know, and that's where they pick at your shadow, right? They amplify that. And this is just me speaking personally, right? A pick and prod at the things that bother you the most or your insecurities to make you, you know, whatever. Like even that Bergy guy, right? He came out, Luke, I found a receipt. Yeah, he found the receipt of the two nights he paid with his girlfriend with your money that I feel so embarrassed that I was told by my friends, don't say anything to, the, to your listeners because they won't trust you. Remember when he ran that, that fund so he can raise money to go help with a Hunter Biden laptop and did nothing? He spent that money flying his girlfriend in, going to a show, but get, renting a room with her because, you know, I, he wasn't going to share the room with the other people and his girlfriend. And then he posted like, Luke, I found the receipt. No, man, that was for your girlfriend. You still owe me money for me paying for your damn parking and that you kept all this hard earned. He raised over $20,000 and he kept it. He's a piece of shit. Most of these people are, it's all about money. And those that have money, right? Those that have money spent it in the wrong place, chasing ballots rather than hitting and targeting legislation. Because you know what? 
by chasing ballots or canvassing or doing all these tours and shit, right? You're getting people excited and you're capitalizing on it. That's what pisses me off the most. That they capitalize on it because it makes money. It's not going to make money if you're waiting to go to court. It's not going to make money if you, you know, target the root of the problem because it's not fantabulous and something where, oh, look, we got them pants down. And it's like, see, that's the thing. It wasn't making people money to do it the right way. And while others may say, well, they did good work. Yeah, they did. They just verified everything I put in my affidavit that no one can debunk. But I was constantly against it, constantly saying, this is ridiculous. We are literally giving them the ability to torture people. Are you working for them? I've asked people that. Are you working for the other side? Because it doesn't make sense. And then all of them you know, want to urge me to mobilize my audience because they're doers. I was like, no, my audience is actually intelligent. It's not a thumping idiot that says, well, this is what they said. And I'm just going to do it blindly. Like some person crept up into my truth social feed and said, oh my God, I hope you weren't taking votes away from Carrie Lake. Dude, chick, wrong state. See, this is the problem. All of these people utilize the pain of the people to capitalize. For me, I stand firm on that. I don't like that. And they don't like the fact that I'm calling them out. And I call them out every day and I don't really care. You know, everyone's like, oh, we're, you know, all of these other Anon people, we're part of the, the pit. And it's like, fuck your pit. I gave to the vote the shit that they've got on Pennsylvania right now. Where have you been? Oh, you're busy pretending you're in some secret clique. Fuck you. See, these are the things. This is where Tori gets mean, right? But I, it's, it's out of frustration, not because I want to cause them harm. So I want to shake them awake and say, can we focus on the things that matter? Can we focus on the free speech? Can we focus on changing the laws? Can we focus on the state legislatures? Can we focus on Julian Assange? Can we focus, focus, focus on educating the public rather than chasing ballots and going on in, all in on shit that makes no sense? We need to focus. We need to v- focus very well, actually. And the thing is, that's how you can discern who's actually working for the nation and who's not. You're sitting there pushing what my software has told you in predictions. Remember Ali Akbar laughing at me saying she's saying she's a time traveler, but then he's like, oh, there's people that can do that. He's talking about hokey shit. I'm talking about Q computing. They're all coming full circle speaking what I say. They're all saying everything I say now, years later. And that's because why would they trust me, right? Why would they trust me? Why would they sit there and say, I'm going to trust Tori even though she worked with them? Hmm? Do you know what my friends and family overseas say? I remember back in 2015 when I was really upset of Varoufakis is, you know, like just, just completely taking the sovereignty of Greece the way they did it. And Alex Chipras, me and him smoked joints together at a younger age, you know, whatever. I, and you know, my family in Greece is not like some bootleg family, right? You know, they're, they're involved in things. I, 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 you know, 
they're all frustrated too. And it's like, what do they do? Do they just go into the house and drag them out by their hair, take a broom and start sweeping the garbage out? Like, what do people do right now? I, I feel your frustration. I can, I can feel it because all of you are sitting there saying we've got to do something, but how do we do it? Okay. Uh, what if I run for office in my state? I can't, I have to wait for election. Who says we make the law? You know, in an ideal place where I would feel confident that people were actually ready to do, because there's only a 1% ready to do, and 1% in Ohio is a pretty big percent. If I can get everyone that voted for me to actually turn up and encircle the Capitol building where the Senate and the House hang out in Ohio and demand that they resign, that all of them design and chant, resign, 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 and that's all. That'll be enough to maybe start a fire. But unfortunately, people are conditioned to be submissive. You know, they all just need a mistress to whip them. That's basically it. And you know, like President Trump, when he came into the mix, people were like, oh, he's an elitist. He's in. That's the thing. When you're in the system, you know the system, you understand the system, and therefore you can beat the system. And what you try to do is educate and demonstrate for others that don't understand it. Because when you're within the system and you flip, you're their biggest nightmare. You have every single ability to shine light in corners that people didn't even know exist. Like I said, there's stuff you know, there's stuff you don't know, there's stuff you don't even know you don't know. And then there's stuff you know you don't know and you really don't want to know. And so we need to start putting pressure as people on fixing this. We can't wait around. We're using our pens. I mean, everything you guys have done, I mean, we broke the GAO, like that's what's up. But did any of you write anything to the SEC yesterday to ask them to investigate Amalgamated Bank? Because they're going to throw it under the bus now. And there may be no record because your mainstream banks are taking on the programmable credits that you will be living off of. Oh, we can't recall people uh, or impeach them in our state. Then make the laws that do it. If your legislators don't do it, find something about them. Everyone's got skeletons. Get them removed one by one. Pick them off the grid. It's not a hard task. You can pick them off the grid one by one. One by one. You can pick them off the grid. Your mayors, your city council, you find some dodgy dealings, oh, psh, court with your friends. Here's 150 bucks. Hey, Mr. Court guy, they did this. According to the law, they're not allowed to hold public office. Get rid of them. Boom, done. Next, next, next. You've learned how to dig all these years. Start picking the fuckers off the grid. Okay? This is some real straight talk. You don't have to wait around for someone to do it. You can pick them off the grid one by one using what they have done and what they are doing. Or you could just continue to sit, right? And I'm not saying that you have to go physically do it. You may not be able to. You may be a, a mom of like five kids, three kids, or you may not feel like you can. Okay, then wipe the brow of the person next to you that's doing it so they can do it for you because then you're part of it, right? So you get 10 of your friends, but there's 100 people supporting you, right? And this is how we operate within the rooms. And this is why they've paid millions of dollars to replicate. And you guys are constantly having people come into your groups. Oh, we should go to Mike Lindell's. Because why? Because the people that hire you there get paid for that shit. And then they take what you do, sell it to Mike Lindell, and he pays them as if it's their idea. Don't you know? So many people have left and eaten that crow. And they still come back talking. They thought they were important, more important than you, the people. That's the thing. More important than you, the people. No, 
you, the people, are stronger. The Moms for America, the people that created that, fucked everything up for parental rights. And this is some real talk. Because you, the people, were doing just fine without their big money. You, the people, were doing more than enough to make noise because they can't control you if no one is funding you. So Philly D says, if it's so easy, why haven't you picked anyone off the grid? Show us and maybe the people will have more confidence to do it. Well, Philly D, I have. You're just not paying attention. Why don't you get up off your ass and do something? Because you obviously think you know what it's supposed to look like. I have. I've gotten U.S. Marshals picked off the grid. Some in jail, some are dead. An attorney general. And another 16 of his going down too. I have. Sheriffs. I have. Legislators. I have. And now I'm going to make the governor of North, of, of, sorry, of Ohio <laughs> infamous for wishing to strip us of parental rights and not upholding the Ohio state constitution. I have. I don't know what you're expecting, Philly D. Are you expecting someone to walk down and get, you know, you know, the bells and shame, shame. That's not how it's done. Don't be dumb. How it's done is by picking them off the grid one by one. And it doesn't take a lot of work. It takes simple work. Simple work. You guys can all in your groups find your House and Senate legislators. Have a list. Start from the beginning in alphabetical order. Okay, we see A, we have, I don't know, Adam. Let's look at Adam. Let's poke the shit out of his life. Let's pull up the Truth Finder reports. Let's look at his legislation. Let's see who funds him. What did he approve his legislation? Let's see if there's a backdoor deal right here. Uh, oh, Adam has a backdoor. All right, let's, let's start filing paperwork. Bye, Adam. Or Adam has nothing. Next on the list, let's go. One by one, you pick them off the grid. You would have had this done in a heartbeat. And the thing is, people require direction, and that's the problem. People require direction, and they shouldn't. You're leaders in your own. And all leaders together working makes magic. Makes magic. See, that's how you win. President Trump, super winner. Ah, oh, he lost the election. <laughs> he let them steal it. <laughs> he gave us the vaccine. <laughs> That's all I have to say. You know what? He, if he stood up against the vaccine, all of you would have jumped ship, said, oh man, that man's crazy. Look, the whole world's saying everyone's dying. He's the only one saying it's a hoax. More than half of you right now listening would have been off that train and on the DeSantis choo-choo, right? <laughs> That's how it is. People don't pay attention. They think they know everything and they're so patriotic. But, you know, it is what it is, right? People are going to be people. And unfortunately, uh <clears throat> People like to blame other people for their mishaps and worries. They never want to take ownership. 
So this is what you guys should be doing. You should be filing the shit out of SEC complaints and making lists of, you know, your your whole state legislature. Have all their names out and start. All of you can pool to pay $100 for the whole year and pull the truth finder reports. Dig like nobody's business. You have access to that right now before they take that away. And suddenly it's like, poof, there's control. I mean, the most ideal would be that people would stand up and file quo warrantos like Carrie Lake. If I was Carrie Lake, I'd file a quo warranto and say, by what authority did you win? Let's count the votes, not the ballots. Right? Where's that? Hopefully, hopefully that happens. I mean, that was a hard suggestion from me a couple days ago when they were like, no, 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 they won't steal that. <laughs> okay, how'd that work out? See, it, it, it's frustrating sometimes when you keep repeating yourself and saying things because then people are like, well, you're not saying it right. Well, fuck you. You don't want to hear it. I don't care. <laughs> okay? That's the way it is. And people are like, no, you cuss. How am I not supposed to? You're the idiot that thinks that everything, right, is supposed to be cheesy, peachy, and all nicely put together. It's not. This is war. And when they come to your house and they shoot you or your kids or drag you out or take your kids away from you, then you're going to remember, damn, now I get why she was so upset. Now I get why, you know, she was saying this, but maybe some of you need that. Maybe you weren't meant to leave this time around. Maybe you need to be imprisoned as you should. Who knows? The thing is, what you need to do is focus on your own community. I've been saying that. And then, you know, now they're all saying it. And it's like, oh, kind of late to the party. Because you know what? They didn't want to associate with the people that were exposing them. Like Enrique Tario even came out and said, and he's like, well, you know, I was a criminal informant. Well, you know, the majority of criminal informants were made just before J6. They rounded up a shit ton of militias. No shit, Tori. Yes, they did. They were all CIs. And then I have people saying, well, this guy's a Fed and this guy's a... Shut up. Do you know what Fed means? It's being l loosely used like, a, like the word racist. Okay? It's not. Doesn't mean everything. Not all Feds are bad. But what people need to understand is that everyone... And everything you see is not what it seems. There's a lot of different things happening behind the scenes that you aren't aware of. And so I'm going to end it today, obviously, with a song. But before I go, a clip of Ron DeSantis responding to the attacks alleged by President Trump. And I want you to see just how you burn the fucking chaff. So that way you stick with the wheat. And, you know, turning point. <laughs> Like, pay attention to the people at Turning Point, all right? I'd like to know what you think about Trump's big announcement and some of the less than flattering comments he has made about you. Well, you know, one of the things I've learned, like, learned in this job is um, uh, when, you're do, when you're leading, when you're getting, getting things done, yeah, you take incoming fire. That's just the nature of it. Uh, I roll out of bed in the morning. I've got corporate media outlets that have a spasm, just the fact that I'm getting up in the morning. And it's constantly attacking. And this is just what's happened. I don't think any governor got attacked more, particularly by corporate media, than me over my four-year term. And yet I think what you, what you learn is all that's just noise. And really what matters is, are you leading? Are you getting in front of issues? Uh, are you delivering results for people? And are you standing up for folks? And if you do that, 
then none of that stuff matters. And, and that's what we've done. We focused on results and leadership. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I would just uh, tell people to go check out the scoreboard from last Tuesday night. Uh, the fact of the matter is... Yeah, you know, the fact of the matter is, we um, it, it was the the, the greatest uh, Republican victory in the history of the state of Florida. And this comes from a guy that signed into legislation that you can be mandatory vaccinated in his place. See, you know what's genius is that this is a a Brennan tactic, and it's so fucking genius. And I'm pretty sure that Brennan didn't invent it; that it came up from before. But you know what I love doing. I'll tell you what one of the most glorious evil things that I've done, okay? And 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 it actually works for good too, right? Is you take someone and you amplify them. You put them on a pedestal so high. You showcase the world just how amazing they are. You tell them, oh, yeah, you should be more like him. You bring them up. You put them high. And you put them on the highest flagpole you can. And then suddenly, the flagpole goes right up there, right? Suddenly, they're impaled by the same flagpole you put them on. You see? You see, this is how you win. The right wins. You put them up only to allow them on their own to take themselves down. And that is indeed, my friends, how you fix things. Now, here's a little FTX dirty update I wanted to share with you. It's pretty cool. It's a minute. We got to play this. I advise that everybody keep looking back at all of the things I've shared with you guys. Some that the uh, algorithms took down. But um, I've been telling you that there is a uniparty. It's not about Democrat and Republican. It's about good and evil. And I think if you go back and look at who's been to Ukraine, who's tied to Ukraine, you will find all the dirty laundry. So, you know, yesterday I started to give you more insight into FTX. And we find out that Mitch McConnell, dirty Mitch McConnell, also received $2.5 million of Ukraine FTX money. Um, If you go to the World Economic Forum, you will find that they took down their F at FTX page, but like I tell you, the internet is forever, and we went back, and I can show you what it used to look like, but yeah, lots of dirty things happening, and it's all being revealed. You can't hide the truth. Remember, Frank LaRose went to Ukraine too, right? Remember? Remember that, how Frank LaRose went there too? Huh? Yeah? Oh, dang. What about other people that went to Ukraine? (laughs) I was talking about that a long time. We need to go back in time and visit those blimps. (laughs) You're going to see Pasternak. Oh, and we're not talking about the blackmail Pasternak. So confusing, right? Those two words, right? Pasternak's. But we should go back to the blimps. And then suddenly everything makes sense and everyone's like, what happened here? And it's like, oh, were you not paying attention? Oh, let me guess. You were too busy talking about Pelosi. Which Pelosi is a big deal, but this is a bigger deal, especially when you have people that are 
sanctimonious and going above you to tell you how wrong you are and how amazing they are. You know, that's how you know. So how is it that we fix this? Well, I mean, there's cancel culture, right? But who can you cancel? You know, there's one song that Tom McDonald had put, which is uh, canceled, if you guys remember it, which I'm going to play. But specifically, the only people that you can cancel are the people that are funded by specific sources. So, for example, do you want to cancel Turning Point? Stop your donations. Stop watching them. Do you want to cancel, uh, you know, the, 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 the bullshit rhetoric from XYZ? Stop watching them. Unsubscribe. Oh, but I want to troll them. Troll them without subscribing. Right? That's what you can do. I mean, tons of people do that to me. Just start unfollowing. But I watched their Telegram page so that I could get information. Okay, unsubscribe. You can always search it and look. But, you know, I unsubscribe. And suddenly, no money. I mean, you know, Tracy Beans is screaming, but she's part of it. Like, she's totally part of it. She's totally part of that movement, that DeSantis movement, right? She is part of it. And the thing is, what people hate about me is that I call it out and I'm not worried about playing politics because guess what? I don't need sponsors. The people support me. They pay my wages, right? They pay for the roof over my head. They pay for me to work. You need sponsors. I don't. I'm not owned. You are. And I'm just bringing that example up just as, you know, just pointing it out. See, when you actually commit to service to the people, they will follow you through hell. And that's exactly what Trump is doing. And you see that their operation failed and now they're scurrying to figure out how they're going to reposition themselves. But just so you know, and let's be fair. Some people that are part of that counter operation, right? Some of it, some of them are actually good guys amplifying that counter operation. I just hope you get that. So, like, let's pretend that there's like media organization XYZ that pretended to be all Trump and now they're flipping and going to DeSantis and there's 10 people there. Two of them are good guys helping the bad guys raise themselves up on that that flagpole. So that way when they pull their support, well, when the people pull their support, guess what happens? They've been riding on that pole and guess where it goes? Right up the tushy. You get skewered by the very things you put out. Reap what you sow. Right? Reap what you sow. If you focus on money, you will only have that to fall back on. So pay attention to the song Cancelled because it'll tell you exactly what can happen. It's not about cancel court culture. Oh, you're banned. You're not allowed to speak. It's, hey, you know what? You're not helping my country. I need to unsubscribe. Mass unsubscribe from people that talk shit. But I like their content sometimes, sure, then troll it. Show them. By you sitting there, doesn't show them. You unsubscribe, and there you go. Suddenly, they eat some humble pie, or they just go away, one of the two. 
God bless. I'm not afraid. Take my face and my name. Paste it on the front page. I'm already famous and you'll never change it by hating or claiming you'll take it away. My grind wicked, write my rhymes different. You could try to quantify the fine limits as a dying gimmick and denying winning. This is pure fire. This ain't white privilege. I do what I want. Get all the Gucci and Louis Vuitton. Out of my closet. Out of my crib. I do not want it. That is for kids. That is for rappers who ask you to produce their beats for free. Pretending I'm on like they rich. Okay.